What is going on, everybody? I am Greg Hellback, and my co-host, Michael Pinter, and I are bringing you another episode of the New York Real Estate Investing Show. This show is all about how to be successful in New York State, one of the best places and one of the most difficult places to do business in. And each and every week, Michael and I are going to bring awesome content to everybody who wants to learn how to do this business successfully in New York. Between the both of us, we have done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deals. We've made millions of dollars and we've also made a ton of mistakes. So if you want to try your best to avoid those mistakes, definitely take a listen to this podcast. Every single week, we are going to provide actionable tactical steps on how you can be successful investing in the Empire State of New York. Stay tuned and welcome to the show. All right, everyone. Welcome back. Another episode of New York Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm Greg Helbeck. I'm here with Michael Pinter. And uh, we got a really relevant show today. We're going to talk about uh, the, you know, the nuts and bolts on, on going out to properties to look at them, how to meet with sellers, and, and how to how to, n- number one, get the deal if it's a, a gettable deal. And number two, if we have time, we're, we're going to talk about maybe some things to look out for when you're going to someone's house, some safety things. And I've had a, a story that I can share with everyone, and Michael's ran into his fair share of crazy people out on the island. So I'm looking forward to the show. And uh, we'll, we'll get it kicked off right here, Michael, with um, the whole myth between you know buying houses all over the phone versus going to the property to, to, to make the offer in person. Uh, we know a lot of people who do both. I do a lot of stuff on the phone. You do a lot of stuff in person. Uh, there's a mutual friend we got to get on the show, Mr. Dalton, uh, who who actually does a hybrid model too. Um, so I think it's definitely something that that is 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 more popular now in terms of buying over the phone. But I still be- believe wholeheartedly if you can get to that property, you're going to have a way higher chance of getting that deal versus doing it all over the phone. So what are your thoughts on that and kind of your experience? Because you actually still do this to this day. Sure. So it's funny because I was just watching a, a, a recording with Jason Lewis and Cody Hoffine, who are like the two of the three monster investors in Utah. And Cody yeah. and Jason both still do um, in person, but they yeah. have a lot of people who do virtual and they were talking about it. So I feel, and it may be just crazy in my head, that I feel that I have a much better chance of buying the property if I meet the seller. Actually, I think it's true. I think it's a fact. That if you meet the seller face-to-face, you're going to have a better chance of buying the property. The question is, A, are you operating in somewhere that you can get to, right? Because if you're if you're living in New York and you're buying houses in another state, you're not going to be able to get there. Yeah. And B, whether that is the best use of your time. So if you have a huge amount of lead flow and you can talk to 40 leads and possibly make 10 offers in the same time you can go drive out uh, to see a, a seller you may be better off doing it virtually, right? For me, I still don't have the lead flow that I want. I'm working my ass off to get there. Um, and I sh- hopefully will get there soon. But for me, I'm in a situation now where I can go on 10 to 15 appointments a week and I, and I can still do that fine. Really, that my job in my company is basically uh, lead gen and, and acquisition. I have somebody else doing the lead management and other people doing dispositions. So... That's my my the my look my, my my take on it. But so if you if you operate in an area close to you, and you are in a position where you feel like you're not letting leads go because you're spending all your time driving out there, yeah. it's probably the best way to buy properties. But if either of those other other instances are the case, if you're buying far away from home where you can't get there, or or you're got you you you'd be better off spending two and a half hours it takes to drive to a drive to an appointment. And deal with it, have the appointment and drive back to the appointment. In those two and a half hours, you can make a bunch of offers to other people. 
And that's probably a better use of your time. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I've found, at least with myself, a lot, and I, you mentioned this on when I watch all your videos. So I always kind of know what you're going to say, like in a good way. Like I'm not like your adversarial attorney, like in court or something. Um, <laughs> you said something the other day. Okay, by the way, I just got to make a shameless plug. Like Mike has a YouTube channel called Flipping and Wholesaling in New York. And I'm an ex experienced investor in air quotes. And I still think they're awesome. They're informational and they're entertaining. And uh, if you want more of Michael Pinter, you know, without living in his office, um, I highly recommend you check out his channel. So shameless plug over. You said something about how you, I think you said like 65% of your deals you've ever done were from owner occupants. I am the polar opposite. I would say 80% of my buys are always some, they live absolutely nowhere near that property. They are fucking in no man's land. So because of that, I've found that I have done most of my big deals and really profitable deals over the telephone, mostly because the fucking owners didn't even live there. Right. If the sellers know it. Yeah. Even if you are, even if the house is near you, but the seller is far away, you can't, yeah. you're not, you're not flying, getting on a plane to go meet them. Yeah. So I've found that with the nature of the marketing that I do, a lot of the, the owners aren't living in these properties. Um, a lot of them are unfortunately tenant occupied. So it's a little more hairy to meet them at the property. So I've found that buying over the phone is definitely more difficult, mostly because of you got to know how to make that offer. And I've done you know a lot of transactions, so I know the numbers. But if you're brand new, I would say without a doubt, if you can get yourself into as many appointments as possible, mostly just to assess the repair estimate, which we've done episodes on, and also the ARV, which we've done episodes on, you, you, know, you got to get your foot in the door and know the market especially with the inventory being diverse in the Northeast, whether you're in Jersey, Connecticut, New York, it's, it's, it's just a whole nother animal. And that's a whole nother topic. I've found that if you don't know your stuff, going to the appointment is always going to be more effective. I've just always found that the sellers that I've interacted with, they're not in the property. They're, they're out of state. A lot of them are out of state, honestly. I mean, I would say on my pipeline, I have like 15 or 16 properties right now. And half of them minimum are at least out of state or they don't even live there. They're in state, but they're nowhere near that property. So Mike, when you're going to an appointment, what is your, like, what does your process look like for when you go on? Cause you, you do a lot of appointments. You just went on one that we, we had together up in uh, I think middle Island or out in middle Island. So, you know, you do this a lot. you go on more, way more appointments than I do. So what does your process look like and how do you ensure that uh, whether you get the deal or not, you're, you know, you're working that system, you know, productively. So, um, from John Martinez, the first thing you want to do is really set the stage, right? Which is, you want to tell the the um, seller exactly how long it's going to, right? You want to set time, agenda, and outcomes. So you want to say, listen, this is probably going to take about 20 to, minutes to a half hour. Um, and that's good because theoretically, theoretically, they may say, this guy's going to keep me in his house for, for four hours. Yeah. You want to say, listen, I'm, we're going to take a quick tour of the place. Then we're going to sit down. Um, I'm going to ask you questions. You can ask me any questions. That's the agenda. They want to know what you're going to do, right? Because for all they know, you're going to break a hole in the wall and check the <laughs> insulation. And then you want to say, and if, and if it makes sense after to take the next step forward, then we will. So that puts them at ease and allows them to say no. So you want to set the stage. Then I say, can we take a quick tour? Um, sometimes that's quicker. Sometimes it's slower, but we take a tour. We take a tour. And she's um, my phone is going bonkers. I'm sorry. Um, and really, so my, my, my goals at the, at, at every appointment is twofold. First is to get a feel for how much, how much does this thing really need in repairs? Right. Yeah. And can we possibly sell it as is on a wholesale deal? Is it possible? 
My second goal, and really the more important goal, is to sit down with the seller and get to the bottom of why they're selling and to figure out if they have a problem that I can solve, right? That is really what the only thing I'm trying to do. So if somebody shows me their house and they want a million dollars for a house that I can't pay more than $200,000 for, they don't really have a problem I can solve. Um, but I also take listings. So if they are, have reasonable requests and if they tell me that, listen, I want $600,000 for house because I owe 500 and I need 100 to wherever I'm going, I might try to uh, see if they want to list with me um, if the house is in good shape. And I've so I've also been to many appointments, probably hundreds, where the person was like, I want to sell to an investor. And then I get in, the house is in great shape. And I get there and I go, this house is really not bad. Um, and you really can list it. And I would advise you not to sell it to an investor because um, you're going to leave $100,000 on the table. And I've converted a lot of those to listings. I've, I'm, I just took two listings this week. Um, in situations where where I couldn't I couldn't have bought it at a discount, and people aren't stupid, they would have figured out that that they didn't have to buy a discount. One was one was really a, a shithole of a house, but she just she just doesn't have any equity in it. And she needs some money, so I'm really that's my two goals there. I'm trying to figure out hey how, what does this need for ARV shape? Can it can we keep, can I sell it as is or doing minimal work to it? At A and B is what is this seller's problem and can I solve can I help solve that problem? That's the way to go because at the end of the day, a lot of people, especially new investors, and if they have no money, I understand they want to make money as soon as possible, which is human nature. They forget about they're a problem solver and their ability to solve a problem. Their income is in direct proportion to their ability to truly solve a problem. So I've found that if you go to that house or you're on the phone, whatever, and you're there to really qualify for a problem, number one, like if, if you're going to the doctor's office and you think you're sick and the doctor says you're not sick, well, he ain't going to fix you, you know? So <laughs> you know, so, but if you go in there and you have a, a service mentality and, and you operate that appointment, whether that's virtually or in person with that, with that, with that as your guiding principle, you're going to be, you're going to be able to have better conversations because that's the paradigm you're acting upon versus like, I'm in here to make money. How do I make the most money on this house? Like, that's like a plumber coming to one of my projects and saying, how do I get Greg for all he's got and make the most money by fixing his pipes? I could smell that a mile away. And I'd tell that guy to go fly a kite, you know, but if he goes in there, and he tells me, I want to try to solve this plumbing problem as best as I can so you can have the best building performing. It's a different conversation. Absolutely. So, Michael, here's something that I want to, that is, it, it is, I don't want to bash sales training because I'm not bashing it, but I, I want to come up with something, say something that is more in line with reality that, that, that's, that's um, it happens more than people think. And I, I have made a lot of deals from this and it's the whole, I want to think it over thing. So there's a, there's a, big thing and say any sales training that you see it's going to talk you have to get a yes or a no i have found from my experience that at least in the areas that i operate in new york and california these are freaking expensive properties and there's a lot of decision makers involved especially when it's a trust sale in california like there could be a shitload of people involved in that attorneys you know new york you got a lot of other people involved so i have found that a lot of the deals that i do they had to think about it, but it's not a bullshit think about it where, you know, oh, I'm just pushing you off and I'm kicking the can down the road, but they have to weigh out their options. They got to talk to their attorney. They got to talk to their siblings. It's one guy there or one gal there, and then there's siblings and they really have to think about it. And, and if I were to go and say something like, well, I need a yes or no right now, I can guarantee that would have lost me deals. And probably I would have six figures less in my bank account than I do now if I were to do that. So in order to combat that, 
I want to know the most important thing I want to know is, and here's why people say you got to get a yes or no, because you, you ultimately, the, the reason they're saying this, because you want to put yourself in a position of control when you're selling in order to know what their next steps are, if they like whatever you present to them. So if we can accept that as true, I want to know what is the seller's next step if they're happy with everything that happened at the meeting, whether it's on the phone or whether that's in person. And then that answer will get you know, brought out before I make an offer. So then I know what I'm working with. So what I will do to combat that is I, I will focus more around what it's going to look like if they're happy with everything. Obviously, the number is something that's important, which I address. But I want to know that they're going to be able to move forward, assuming they like everything versus me saying, can I get a yes or no before I leave today? They're going to tell me, like, I don't even know who you are or what this offer is. You can go fly a kite and get out of my house. And I used to do that and it would, it would bite me in the ass. So what do you do? Because I, it's interesting because I do it a little differently and it's a little counterintuitive and it makes me a lot of money. I'm, I'm sad the, so the, the, the deals to back that up. I agree with your assessment. So in New York and even in California, yeah. Not just because of the price, but certainly in New York where the process takes a lot longer. Oh, it's so uh, long. Yeah. People in ge general are not meeting with 800 different sellers. No. 800 different buyers, and they're going to take longer. In in a lot of other parts of the country, you know, there's a, a chain of 50 buyers walking into a house. Oh, it's a one. Yeah, you're at the plate once. And if you don't, if you swing, you're, you're going back to the dugout. Yeah. About in uh, Dallas or any major city in Texas, or Vegas, North Carolina, yeah. Vegas, Phoenix. So in those areas, I understand the idea of saying, I need an answer right now. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise you're just going to get jerked around. So <laughs> I usually don't, don't do the, I'm not taking a maybe from you. I don't do yeah, that. Yeah. No, no, no. That doesn't that. work. Um, yeah. But I understand how it would work in a lot of situations. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't do it. And I, I very often have to. I mean, I'm signing. I just got a contract emailed to me today, where the guy agreed to sell it to me in like May. Like that's how long. <laughs> it's it almost took. August. And he had to. He has a sister there who he had to find a place from. And like we were in touch. Like I can't. I couldn't have told this guy. Well, I'm going to take that as a no. Right. The guy kept calling me and telling me I'm selling the house to you. So. It's a little bit different. And, I, and I've gone through this before. I, I believe very strongly that in New York, the average person in the state of New York does not look at their property as a really liquid asset. Mm, they're, that's they're, true. If they're in a financial bind, they're not saying, I better sell my house and get the money quickly. Now, in, 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 in 49 other states, you could probably close in four days, right? You can get in California, you can close. Oh, in yeah. California, you can close in in four or five days but it's in not New that York, hard people know this is just taking a long time so if they're so if they're in a pinch they're not looking for that they're not looking for quick cash from their house they're not i'm not saying that <laughs> I, I haven't bought people who had a financial in or in financial distress and end up selling their house but i think they understand this is going to be weeks if not months of yeah. the process just the way that they, the thing works so i never put somebody like on the spot and say hey um if it's not a yeah. yes i'm going to take that as a no That's i don't do right. that but i under but i understand why yeah why it's a valuable tool in other parts of the country. Yeah. I think in New York, it's just, I think the mentality is different and it, it, it's, if you, if you're in a competitive situation and, 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 and you're like in an area where like the guy's going to walk out with a signed document, I see that being valid, but a lot of people, they might really like you and they might like your process and they might like that you didn't put pressure on them. And I've found that a lot of the sellers they need to really know that you're there to solve their problem before they commit to doing some, commit to, to 
wanting to do business with you. And it doesn't matter if you're in New York or California, wherever you are. And I've found that I always say this one thing to sellers and it, it, it puts them at ease. I learned it from Frank Kern and I put my own spin on it. It's like, listen, no matter what happens with this house, I'm going to be helpful the entire time. I'm not going to jerk your chain. I'm not going to freaking, you know, do this dog and pony show. I'm going to help you, whether it results in me buying this home or whether it results in me just telling you some free advice on what you should do with it. It's going to be helpful. I'm not going to bullshit you. And people assign a lot of value to that because Absolutely. most, most dickheads will come in there and they'll say, Oh my God, Sally, your roof, it looks like a, the, you know, World War II happened and that Normandy came. Let me write it down. It's $80,000. <laughs> you know, and I see a lot of these, these people who they just walk around these people. They have no idea what they're doing and they make, they just, yep, 250, take it or leave it. It's like, that's not how you add value, no. you know? So I, I found, go ahead. I agree, I agree with you completely. I do something similar. So I tell people almost every appointment I leave, I go, listen, whether you sell me the house or don't sell me the house, whether you list with me or don't list with me, you can always call me Yes. anything you need. If you need somebody to help you with cleanup, I have people for that. You need somebody to fix something. I have people for that. I'm here to help you in any way that I can. I don't buy every house that I go into. So don't feel bad using me as a resource. And it's, well, that's definitely, it's, definitely, it's definitely great. Oh, totally. And, and almost nobody ever calls me for, for help, but I put them at ease that I'm, I'm not, I'm here to help. And, and I know that I may not buy this house. That's fine. Exactly. And that's the key. They want to know that you're there to help no matter what. And that may, and it's like, it's like if someone, if a plumber is like, Hey dude, whether you need want to work with me or not, like if you ever need anything with your plumbing, give me a call and I'll, I'll just, I'll help you. I'll give you some advice. And, and, and that's how you, and the best contractors I've ever dealt with were people like that, where they came to you and they said, listen, this is what you could do, but I, I fix something. I'm not going to charge you for it. And you know, if you ever need anything, call me. And then I'm like, that's a guy I want to call a guy who's, who, I have an air conditioning guy that I use. He's amazing. I, he came to my house three times and never charged me. So I would never use anybody else now. Like I, exactly. I love that guy. I know he's just trying to, he's trying, he's a good guy and he's trying to help me. Exactly. So I, think I think it's an important, I think it's an important part of the process for sure. Exactly. No, that's so true. And the, the, the other, I'll, I'll flip the script real quick, just so I want to play two sides of the same coin is, so I'll give you a real life example right now on a deal that I'm, I'm it's competitive, which is happens sometimes. So this guy called me up. And he's got a deal with a non-paying tenant and it's from a mailer. So, you know, everyone's sending mail nowadays and he's sell, like, he was the one that's 150 for it. And that, that's just a fantasy with his tenant inside. It's in Rockland County. So it's in a really, you know, desirable area. That's pretty cheap too for Rockland County. And uh, so we're, we, I offered him a hundred and he's like, no. And then another investor came in. I know the investor shocker and uh, we're just going to JV it. So we don't compete with each other. And so he's basically said he's going to sell at 115, but he kept giving me kind of like some bullshit. You know, when you kind of sell it, you know, they're, they're kind of jerking your, you're jerking your chain a little bit. And I'm like, listen, Paul, I doubt he's listening. Um, so I'm not scared. And I said, listen, Paul, I totally understand what you're doing. It makes total sense. I would do the same thing if I were you, which is true. I'm a, you know, I, I want to make sure I'm not getting hosed. I said, listen, let me ask you this, Paul. If your if your attorney is on board with everything that you and I discussed, and every concern that you shared with me is addressed. What are, are, are you selling? Who, who, who would you sell the property to? You know, and I, I just, it was just an open-ended question. You said, you know what, Greg, you, you're a nice guy. I can tell you're not like a desperate, you know, bottom feeder. You know, he's a pretty direct person. I said, thank you. You know, and he's like, I'm going to sell you the property, assuming my attorney is happy with everything. So he gave me a commitment that he's going to sell me the property. Ultimately, we will see if he does that or not. But the point of the matter is that sometimes you need to push without being pushy. 
So that's kind of what I meant by that story there. No, the, you way, gotta, the way you do it is great because you 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 basically future pace the, yes. the seller. Yes. And I do this. So I start all my calls really with that. I do I say, listen, assuming we can come together on price, like the, one of the first questions I ask people, assuming we can come together on price and all the major details, when would you want to sell it? So they're yes. thinking coming together on price. And at the end, so what you're doing is getting that next step. I should do that more. I don't do that enough. But I should say, listen, assuming we we, we all work this out, I just had a deal. You actually you helped me with a deal. I think we're gonna do it. Good. Um, where I said it was all about price completely, but I said to the yeah. guy, um, assuming we we agree on price, like what's the next step? And like, so the guy was like, Oh, well, my attorney will send you the guy. Like, I may even know the answer, but 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 future <laughs> pacing is a good deal. But on the same on the same note that we spoke about before, I just want to elaborate a little bit on it, which is um the fact that all these newbie um investors are in the market who don't know what they're doing. And in New York, they attack people with this, I'll close in 24 hours, you know, which no one can close in 24 hours. I'll close in two days, I'll close right away. You know, sell me your house, sell me your house. That is great for people like you and me because those guys give such a stink of desperation off of them that when they meet somebody who's not selling all the time and you and I who are perfectly willing to push back on a seller, pushing back on a seller is like the greatest thing ever. Like the greatest, I teach all the people I speak to, anybody in lead intake or cold calling, I go, the greatest thing you can do is say to a seller, listen, we're investors, we have to buy at a discount. Sounds like we're not a good fit. That nothing bad can come from that. You're never going to lose a deal by saying that. What happens is either the guy is going to go, you're right, in which case you aren't going to buy the property anyway, or the guy is going to correct you and go, whoa, whoa, wait a second. I got a problem that you can solve. So the ability to push back and the ability to not stink of desperation is are probably two of the greatest assets that a, a, somebody in our industry can have. And it's oh, something that's so, so rare. It's, 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 it's amazing. That is the biggest game changer in any sort of communication is when you're I think people are so scared of the truth in the beginning, new people, even people who are experienced who just have kind of been flying by the seat of their pants. I used to never say to the seller, I'm intending to make a profit on their house. I learned that from Mr. Toback because it's not taught in general sales training. Right. And, and I, I think it should be taught more because the seller's got to like, like, what does Chris Voss say? Yes is nothing without how. So just right. because the seller tells you yes, does not mean that they're going to actually like, implement the deal and implement everything, which in New York and even in California, it's kind of a process, you know, there's more people involved. So when I tell the seller that I need to buy it at a price that allows me to make a profit, it, it gets them to realize my side of the table. I used to just be so gung ho on their pain and all the deal killers, which is important, but I'm like, listen, this is how I frame it too. There's two things I want to share in this podcast that people can implement right away and uh, definitely get more deals is number one, the number has to work for you, but the number also has to work for me. So I always, and I say that very deliberately, just the way I said it, it's got to work for you because it is about them first, but it also has to work for me. So it's got to be at a number that allows me to make some sort of a profit. You know, what are your thoughts on that? And then I get them to kind of reflect on what I told them. And then the second thing I love to say when I get a price out of a seller is I say, listen, it's all about pre-framing what their perception is. And this is from like, this is more of just like NLP and stuff, which is not voodoo like manipulation. It's just how to communicate effectively. Some people are like, oh, you know, all this crazy shit. You manipulate people. I'm like, fuck off. No, I don't. 
you just go manipulate yourself, you know? <laughs> so I, it's, like, it's true. I'm like, fuck off, you know, go read the damn books and go do the damn work. You know, right. I always say, listen, Bob, um, in order for you to be really happy with everything, for me to buy this house as is and close on your timeline, considering I do need to make a profit, what number would you be happy with? That specific line, you can change it up if you want. That gets him to perceive what he wants based on the reality of his situation, not just, hey, Bob, what's your price? Like, he's going to say, like, and listen, what the, the first question I asked, it's not going to get you like 10 out of 10, but it's going to probably six or seven out of 10 going to get the seller to say a different number than they would have already said in their mind because they're basing that answer Say, on how you pre-frame the say question. It again, how do you how do you frame it? I say it one more. Hey, hey, Michael. Considering that I'm going to buy the home as is, I'd make this the easiest sell of your life, and do everything that you said that you wanted me to do. Considering I do need to still make a small profit, with everything I just shared, what number would you be happy with at the end of the day? That's and right. I pre-frame what his price might be versus like, hey, Michael. So what do you want for your house? That's a very naked question. But when you dress that question up with a pre-frame. Sometimes six out of seven times, six out of 10 times, they're going to give you a different number just because you pre-frame the way you ask that question. Assuming you have some rapport with them and there's like a real sale on the hook here, you're not dealing with some jerk off who's like, you know, fishing you around. That one question will move the needle because he might, he might've said a hundred, he might've said 500, right? But once he knows what he needs and what you need, he might say 475. And that, listen, that might not be a deal. But at least he already talked himself down 25 grand without you even saying, hey, can you do better? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's these little things that really move the needle. Or you start negotiating. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's something I've found very helpful. And another, uh, another thing I just remembered, we're talking about what we were saying earlier. And what I, I find a lot of people are not successful in this business because deep down, they think what we do is predatory. Oh, I'm so happy you brought that up, dude. You just took it right out of the bag, man. Right out of the travel bag. People onto the fucking table. Like, people don't know how this business works. I, I mean, I've spoken to people, tell them what I do. They, they look at me like I'm from outer space. Why would anybody sell their house to you? Like they think that we are just yeah. predatory vultures grabbing these poor old ladies and ripping their house from them. That's not what we do, right? And if you think that's what, what's what we do and you're a good person, you're gonna have a real trouble making offers and being yeah. successful with this business. We are problem <laughs> solvers, right? We basically... Get, get buy properties from people who know that they probably can get more for the certainty and convenience that we provide for them, right? Just like going to Starbucks and paying $7 for a cup of coffee that probably costs 20 cents. You are doing that because you want the certainty and convenience that Starbucks is providing for you. People come to us and sell because they want the certainty to know that we're going to close at the number that we give them and we're not going to jerk them around and show up four months later and say, I didn't get a mortgage like a re regular retail buyer. They want to know that they probably don't have to have 55 open houses. They want to know they can probably leave a lot of their crap there. And they want the convenience that we provide or whatever tailored solution we provide for them. We do not in any way take advantage of anyone. This is a voluntary transaction. That's how it works. So if you don't have that in your head, and I, I've spoken to people who I, I can pretty much read, they don't have it in their head. It's going to be very hard for you to be successful with this business. You have to really believe that deep down in your heart and in your brain. That's so true. And that is something that a lot of other people might whisper in someone's ear, like, oh, how do you, how do you get a house at half off and be able to sleep at night? It's like the seller from day one 
knows it's an autonomous sale and they're not, I don't hide anything from them. I tell them everything that I'm going to do, especially sometimes I'll just tell them I'm wholesaling their house and I'm making a big profit. And that's what they signed up for. I don't say that every time, but sometimes I will, depending on the scenario. And I see that if, how does someone fix that? Like, how does somebody like fix that belief? Because that's a very valid concern you brought up. It's a great, it's a great question. And I, I don't know. I mean, I say it all the time and, and I have people who listen to it and I, and I talk to people who I know don't believe it. Um, and I, and I, and I feel bad, right? So when I'm, co when I'm coaching a student, I go, you need to get this into your head, right? You need to get into your head that you are not taking advantage of anybody. I go, no, you don't twist anybody's arm to sell to you. And it's a, usually, it's usually clear that you're, and, and I go, say it, say, well, I got to buy it. At, I, I say, tell them to say it three sentences, right? I'm an investor. I got to buy it at a discount. You know, it's got to make sense. And, um, they're willing to sell to you. And this is, and this is going on probably 10% of the time throughout the country, right? About 90% of the houses are going to get listed with a, with an agent on the MLS. 10% are going to sell off market to people like us. Like this is the way it works. People understand that you, they are, they are paying, they're not really paying, but they're taking a discount in exchange for what we provide. We provide a service and we solve problems. Exactly. And I think the better they get at communication and the more transparent they are, the easier, that might be the best way to solve it when they know how to push back and they know to tell the seller all their options, that's when they can sleep at night. I did air quotes. If someone's not watching the YouTube video, because the seller knows what they're getting into. I think that, I think this is where they, they might trip up. It's like, if there, you know, I see so much bullshit online as you probably do. And there's all this crap around the close a thon who can close the most deals. Like, like they have some boiler room always be closing. Yeah, like they have some boiler room where they have like 95, you know, what like you would say, uh, Neanderthals in the back, you know, with like a bunch of meat they throw into like the pen every house, 10 minutes. Sell your house, sell your yeah. House. And I think that that is why I think people might get that perception because they see something that's ultimately not true, or they see some jerk off getting like 20 contracts a month when they're closing five. And they think that they just got to like get contracts, like they have to, you know, get money or something, like they're a hustler. I don't know what the mentality is, but I've always found that to be number one BS. And number two, if you get good at communicating, which is just simply understanding how people think and, and, and how to solve problems, that's all communicating is. I don't even like the word sales because it's not really a sale. It's just a communication negotiation. Same thing. You're just getting clear on the sale, right? You're getting clear on the communication. Right. And I tell, I tell everybody, you know, ask the seller, why, why wouldn't you list it? Why wouldn't you keep it? Why wouldn't you rent it? You yeah. want to ask that, right? They, the idea that the seller doesn't know he can list it, oh. keep it, or rent it, and that you're going to enter that into yeah. his mind and lose the deal is ridiculous. It's insane. Right? People aren't nuts. They know that they can <laughs> list it, keep it, or, or rent it. I, I, I asked it, and everybody should ask it. They know what a realtor is. They, and I, that's why I always bring it up because that's the biggest deal killer I see in, in Cali and in New York. It's like, yo, my house worth 700 grand. I want to list it for 700 grand. Good for you. I, I really think that's, the, and I always agree with them. And I'm, it's true. I'm not bullshitting them. I'm like, listen, it sounds like you're looking to get the most money for it and listing it is ultimately the best thing you should do. And I think that's a great idea. And that's pushing back. They're going to either say, well, well, I called you because I really don't want to have to deal with my tenant who just got out of jail. You know what I mean? Or they're going to say something like along the lines of that, or they're going to say, I agree with you. you know I think all the time, listen, I go, listen, if you want to squeeze every dollar at its house, listing it is always going to get you the most money. hundred percent. I go, that, that is an option. I said, now, sometimes I say to them, I just want you to know you have, 12 non-paying tenants in the basement who are going to be a problem when you list it because they're going to, you know, there might be an issue that I might tell them, but 
I always tell them, listen, if you want the most money out of this, then you got to get it vacant and be prepared to sell it broom clean and then list it. Do that. I go, you list with me or list with anybody. It doesn't matter. That'll get you the most money. Totally. I found too, like, is it even, I mean, I guess it's possible, but I've never seen like an MLS listing where it's like 10 inside. Don't like, they don't, people don't even waste their time. I've seen them, but they're there, but they're they're getting sold to investors for investor prices. Yeah, it's because no one, no retail buyers. I was copying out a property today, today, in an area that's going where things are going for six hundred thousand, and there was something that sold occupied for four hundred thousand. Oh yeah, I'm saying that it's gonna, you know, that might be what I would offer anyway. So yeah, it's possible, it's possible to do. I don't know if that guy got any more. He might, he probably got less than he would have if if he would have met with me. I could have paid him four and a quarter or something. So, (laughs) you know, so uh, I'm just saying that. Uh, it's possible, but it's but 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 when I, when somebody tells me they have non-cooperating tenants, I love it because I know they're probably not going to sell at retail, and, and most of my competitor, most of my competitors aren't going to buy occupied no. anyway. So I'm thrilled, especially when they're doing volume. They don't want to fuck with that. It's going right. to fuck up their their chain. So as we last segment of the show, I think we have some time for it. Is you know having some safety precautions when you're meeting with strangers. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because I had a weird experience one time that still fucked me up to this day and I'll share it. And then we'll get into Michael's experience. You don't, with it. you don't even know what really happened. That guy could have just been a nice guy. You're just a creepy guy, right? <laughs> I, he, he was coming at me some sort of way, you know, like when you're on the dance floor and they're like, I, this guy was coming at me. Like I, I if I knew crowd Mignot, I would have motherfucking teed, teed this guy up, you know? So anyway, he was a nice guy. Well, I don't know if he was a nice guy, but anyway, long story short, I was at a house. The guy was giving me bad. This is a long time ago. I was probably, it's probably 2017 or 2018. And he just was giving me these weird vibes. And he, ultimately what happened was he, he tried to approach me. I, I thought he was trying to potentially rob me. I didn't have a lot of cash on me. I didn't have a nice car at the time or anything. So he would have fucking gotten a hundred bucks and a fucking Hyundai Elantra. So good, good luck, bud. You know, uh, today it'd be a little different of a story. If he went near the Audi, I would have had to motherfucking anyway. So it, what it happened was he tried to pursue me and it, it, it got me to realize like, Hmm. You're meeting with a bunch of strangers who you don't know from Adam who called some bullshit telephone number. Maybe you should do some homework when you're going to go meet with a stranger. Cause how often does this happen? So it just got me to realize number one, if you're going to go meet with people, understand that yes, you are taking a risk. I it's very low probability risk, but at the same time, if you get a weird feeling in your stomach about who you're meeting with, maybe they're not on the deed or whatever the case, maybe there's some meth heads there you, you got to kind of know in advance kind of what you're getting into. And what I like to do now is if I'm meeting with some wiener head, I'll, I'll go online and I'll, I'll look them up. I'll skip trace them. I'll see if they have any criminal records. And I just do a little bit of homework just to make sure I'm not meeting with a psychopath. So Mike, what's your, you've been to more properties than I have. Cause I do a lot of my shit over the phone now. So what, what is your experience with that? Cause in long Island, there's a ton of fucking weirdos out there. There's so many people. There's just have, the probability of seeing a weirdo in long Island is higher than wherever I, I am with many, San Diego. many, 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 many weirdos. I've never felt unsafe, but I just could, that might just be me. I'm a pretty big, you're tougher than me though. I'm, I'm a little bit more of a pansy. I'm than a you. Big, you're I'm bigger than me. I'm yeah. 200 pounds. I, I did take Krav Maga <laughs> for two years also. Um, so I've never had a situation where I felt unsafe, but if I was 120 pounds female, I might. <laughs> so I recently had a YouTube uh, comment where somebody asked me about that. And I'm like, you know what? I never thought about it. I said, but if I was a small woman, I, I'd be, I might be concerned. So there are a few things <laughs> that you can do. I said, obviously you can take somebody else on the yeah. on appointment yeah. or at least leave them in the car. That should be enough. Um, 
But I would say I understand it's a concern. Like I understand that. And but I said most of it's a feeling. Like you said, you got a bad feeling. You got bad vibes off the guy. Most of the time, you're gonna get you know bad. You're gonna know when something something doesn't seem right. I think you can get enough of an instinct to figure that out. But again, I've never, I've never, I've never felt unsafe at a at a meeting. I felt disgusting. I've been in houses. I'm doing a, a something tomorrow night in a house. As soon as you walk in, there is a huge pile of feces, and I don't know if it's human or animal. It's disgusting. There's flies. It's gross. Like I've been in places where I could, I was gagging because of the smell was so bad. But I've never felt unsafe. So I, I but I, but I understand why if you yeah. were small or a female or both small and female, um, you might want to be concerned. And I think on some level, if you really get a bad vibe, you might want to just tell the guy, let's just talk outside. Have, have you ever had a, a, you've never had a situation where you, you've, you, you got like, like what was the sketchiest house you've been in? If you could remember where you were like, not scared, but a little like, okay, this person is a absolute fucking nut job. So yeah. I, 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 I almost bought a house recently that was already condemned by the town of Oyster Bay. The house smelled so bad. The guy was a hoarder. Blamed it all on his dead wife that she used to, she was a hoarder, but she had been dead for a long time. He was a hoarder, um, and the house smelled so bad. I, I almost I almost I almost dry heaved in the guy's kitchen. It was so disgusting, you know. And he kept telling me it has to be knocked down, it has to be knocked down. And I'm like, you're still living here. Like the, the town, he was living in there. The town of Oyster Bay put up a fence around it, and he went in anyway. And they put That's a illegal. demolition. They put a demolition order they, to knock it down, and he was still there. And, oh my um, god. It was it was it was horrible, and it was and, and it's so sad because the only reason why it's horrible is because of neglect. It yeah, it was a there was like a an attached garage on the side. A tree had hit it. God knows how many years ago, and he they had never repaired that. So there's a huge gaping hole in the back of the house into the garage, but the rest of the house didn't need to be bad. They just had bags and bags of crap. The guy didn't throw anything out. He had he had dirty bottles from uh, look like from 1965 there. That's sad crazy. when you see that, man. Some of the way people yeah. live, it's it's just crazy how I that spoke happens. to the neighbors, and the neighbors are like, I can't wait till they knock the house down. It's so bad. And like I understood it's pretty gross. It was pretty gross. Is it a deal, you think, or is he fucking? No, with it's you? got a demolition order, so it's only really worth the land. Like the 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 town basically said, We're gonna knock it down, or if somebody buys it, we'll let them knock it down. But you can't reverse it. The guy wouldn't sell it for the land value, he wanted more money. He's fucked. He's not going to, he's going to, yeah. He's going to get I knocked mean, down. He's going to eventually sell it for much less than I would have given him. And that's all. And I, I mean, I, I know I'm going to pull the guy back. I'm waiting for him to knock the house down. I postponed that before in Texas where like there was some sort of a cowboy demo. Like in Texas, it's a little different, but this some cowboy was like, we're going to knock his house down. And we like went down to the court and we're like, dude, like chill the fuck out. Like we're buying this thing, like relax. I don't know. Some towns, it really depends. Like you said, in Long Island, though, it's so right, expensive. So the town to of Bay is going is going to demolish this house. They 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 kept. He, he didn't show up to court like fifty. Oh times. yeah. So to, like, whatever. A lot yeah. of guys, you know, we deal with people very often, and that's. It's a, probably a topic for another for another yeah. show, but um, sometimes you got to call somebody like a hundred times to get in touch. Them. Oh yeah. I don't want to face the situation that they're in. Like this is a good example. This guy did not want to face the situation that he's in. If he would have faced it ten years ago, he could still be in the house. Like he could have. Oh yeah. They just don't want to face it. So sometimes I'll get a call uh, from someone and they'll leave him a name and a number, and then we'll have to call them eighty times till he calls back. And and my and my leads people are saying we can't get in touch with this guy. And I'm like he, he he's he's raised his hand and said he's interested. We sometimes we need to stay in touch. Sometimes we need to follow up with him for a very very long time. Totally, it's interesting. I had a similar scenario. It's not a deal, but this house 
similar like piece of shit vacant and then the, the owner actually lives like a block over and i knew where they lived and went over there and they they just were just sitting in there i called the son like like a psychopath not to manipulate him but because he has to do something with his house it's like tax sale you know and i'm like i called the guy fucking 10 times in like two minutes just like a maniac and i'm like and I, I you know i'm like important information about your house which is all true like i'm not pulling some tomfoolery like important information about your house on the 10th time he picked up didn't answer the phone so then i left him a voicemail and then i texted him and said urgent important information about your house please call back for details and the guy called me back and I didn't recognize the call. This was a couple hours later. And he left me a voicemail like, if you ever can call me again, I'm going to go over there and stick a crowbar in your face. You know, and I'm, I, you know, I wasn't trying to like be a, a douchebag, but I was like, dude, ultimately you are a procrastinator. And because of that, you have equity in this property that you can capture by getting an offer legitimate. Got to do it now. And, you know, the more you kick this can down the road, the less money you're going to get if you can even get any money. So point of that is that yeah you got to call people sometimes like a honey badger and thump your badger tail on the floor until the guy I, fucking answers I just thought of this i have this lead in my system i mean it, this has got to be one of the craziest stories ever i don't think i've ever even discussed this i have a lady in my area who the te- the the city the village has decided that the house is unsafe I, it probably yeah. was disgusting inside and they boarded they they boarded up the house the she city now, did this she now lives in her car in the driveway and does not go into the house oh my she, gosh she pays the taxes on the house there is no mortgage on the house and she lives in the car so i said to her i made her an offer i said listen i'll buy the house so she goes well how am i going to get my stuff out i said i'll break the lock i said i don't care i said i'll get you in there i'll get i, I said if you want i'll drive there now and get you in right now she's like no the the, the village is going to get me in trouble i have a lawsuit pending against them lawsuit right uh, and then she went on for hours about how she, she's the victim of injustice and how the village is all corrupt. And I'm like, everything you're saying is probably true. I don't know anything about it. I said, but what? Do you really want to continue to live in your car and go to the bathroom in the 7-Eleven and shower at the gym? I go, don't you want to just do something? And the answer is no. She, she is happier fighting this battle against the injustices that she believes are done to her than dealing with it. I don't know if I'm ever going to buy the house, but... That is a good example of what some of the kind, some of the types of people that you and I uh, talk with. They just do not want to face reality. And I'm hoping one day she changes her mind, and I'm going to call her every month till I die and or she dies or both of us die, um, because I hope that one day she's going to change her mind. But think about that. She's living in her car in front of the house. It's absurd, but people live live with absurd situations very often in uh, in lieu of actually facing their their problems. I agree with you. And it's unbelievable to, to, to know that they have literally, I always say like equity sitting on their, on their hundreds of thousands, I offered her hundreds of thousands of dollars. She goes, what am I going to do with it? I go, move into a hotel. I go rent a place, buy something small. It's going to run out. I mean, she, she was fighting me about why I want to give her a check for, I don't know, $300,000 when she's living in her car. I go, you can't stay in a car. She goes, no, it's terrible. And then she went back into how the village screwed her. I'm like, Take the money and move on. She goes, I'm going to sue them. I go, sue them after you take the money from me. With the money to pay for the lawyer. You know, people are not. I don't don't think she has retained an attorney. No, she's retained a a bunch of bullshit. By the way, you just gave me a great topic for future podcast. Crazy stories, part one and crazy stories, part two. So (laughs) thank you for that. 
I got well, up, down. I don't. I didn't even remember the story until you talked about your. Look guy. at that! You never know until you start the podcast. So we're going to wrap the show up today. We we're about fifty minutes, so it's a little bit longer of a podcast than we normally do. So I hope everyone got value on, you know, how to meet with a seller in person, what to say. I think we gave everyone some real actionable tips here. We're holding nothing back. There's no opt-in funnel or anything. This is just facts here. Nothing wrong with opt-in funnels. Like book a call with Greg.com, and I'll gladly take your money. Right? Nyreicourse.com, whatever your course is, whatever. Shameless plug there. But at the end of the day, how to, we do. It's how, to, it's how to flip New York course.com. How to flip New York. How to flip New York course.com. If you want Mike's coaching, it's how to flip New York.com. So no, that's just that. for the course. The coaching is coaching dot how to flip New York. Coaching we're dot. Not, but we're no, not selling yeah. anything. No, no selling. No selling here. We're just messing around. Um, anyway, so I hope everyone got value. I know they did today. If you uh, are a loyal listener or if you're a new listener, head over to wherever you listen to this, leave a review. The more importantly, though, if you got value today, this is the one thing we do ask, seriously. If you can copy this link, whether you're on YouTube or whether you're listening on your telephone or iPad or whatever, fucking, what are those things called there on iPad? Uh, a pixel, what are those things called? Tablet. If you're on your tablet, whatever you're on, laptop, you can share this podcast with five people who you think can get value from it. That is how the show grows on a weekly basis by people hearing it, assigning value to the content, and then sharing the content. So that's um, a little favor from uh, that we ask to you. And uh, we're looking forward to the next podcast show we're going to do. And I hope everyone has a great rest of their day. Take care, everyone.